Welcome to That Bleeping Podcast, a podcast wherein four academics who love television recap, analyze, and love and hate on all things popular culture. Right now, we're working our way through Degrassi The Next Generation, taking them two episodes at a time. Today, episodes 9, 10, and 11, uh, because we're sandwiched between two, um, two two-part episodes. Uh, and so before we start two things, spoiler alert, there will be full spoilers as we recap each week's episodes. And sailor alert, we will swear, so hide your baby's ears. I'm Tiffany Salter. I'm a professor of Asian American and Pacific literature, um, and I also teach media studies uh, and film and other nerdy things. I'm Jacinta, assistant professor of English. I teach uh, writing, media studies, and uh, digital media. I'm Sonic Gabbard. I uh, teach in the women's and gender studies departments and peace and conflict studies departments at DePaul University in Chicago. And I teach all things feminist studies, transnational feminism, post-conflict studies, et cetera. I'm Brendan Shaw. I'm an assistant professor of English at Central State University, where I teach a lot of composition as well as African-American literature and gender studies classes. All right, so we're talking about three episodes, three episodes in this episode. Uh, and those are episodes 9, 10, and 11 in season two. Um, so I'm going to just briefly recap episode 9, Mirror in the Bathroom. Uh, this um, episode, just as a content warning, uh, deals with eating disorders, uh, both discussion of and actions practices, um, and also deals with body image issues more broadly uh, and instances of fat shaming. There is some use of slurs and some derogatory language. Uh, all right, so the episode uh, starts with the morning announcements from Liberty. Um, and in those morning announcements, Toby is congratulated for getting third place uh, for, uh, is it science or? Mm -hmm. Computers. Programming, something. binary code. Yes, for a computer competition. Um, but he's disappointed because he doesn't get the same accolades that Sean does for being the most valuable player of all the athletics at the school that week. And that sort of sets up the episode for him, which is that Toby feels like his sort of nerdy pursuits aren't appreciated in the way that uh, sports are. And so he decides to join the wrestling team, uh, something that JT thinks is a bad idea. Um, and so he goes to a tryout and the way the wrestling tryouts work is there's sort of a week of getting ready to try out. And in order to try out, he has to make weight. Um, and when he first weighs in at the first tryout, he would be in the same weight class as Sean. Um, but he decides he would rather be in a lower weight class because then he won't have to uh, wrestle against Sean, 
which unfortunately sets him up to do a variety of things throughout the episode to try to get his weight down, including uh, running in a a plastic bag, doing all kinds of sort of like a goofy kid version of sort of workout routines from a movie, but then escalating to more dangerous things like taking laxatives um, and later in the episode, uh, making himself throw up a meal. So he ultimately bests the other kid in his lower weight class and is put on the team, but he still needs to maintain his weight and become sort of single-minded about it. Um, and the consequences are he his focus starts to go, he's irritable, he almost passes out multiple times, and both JT and Ashley, who is his stepsister, start to notice the signs. Ashley notices that he's not eating like he usually does um, and is concerned because he's not eating at all for breakfast. JT also notices um, and it sort of culminates in him passing out at a wrestling match. Um, and the his storyline ends with him and JT having sort of a conversation about how people still care about him even though he's not an athlete and that people were concerned and actually could see him because he's feeling invisible. Um, The other storyline in this is about Terry. Uh, At the beginning of the episode, Terry has a fancy new phone that has wireless web access, email, and GPS. And everyone Mm -hmm. wonders how she can afford it and other new things. And she's being cagey about it. And then uh, her and the other girls and her group of friends are walking and they see a, a bus advertisement for a plus-sized fashion line, and Terry is the sort of face of the fashion line, and she tells them that she didn't realize it was going to be a national campaign, Um, and when they see it and are looking at it and sort of giving her props for it, uh, one of the boys from the school walks by and uh, makes fun of her for her weight, and so her sort of trajectory in this episode is she is really embarrassed by the campaign. She says she doesn't want to do it anymore, um, but she ultimately comes to feel like it's empowering, partially through a very awkward conversation with Spinner, where he tells her he thinks she's beautiful and that not all guys are looking for super skinny women. Uh, And the sort of climax for that is that she tells off the guy who earlier made fun of her uh, and this sort of feels empowered in that moment and calls herself a plus size model and says, this is what most women and girls look like. Um, so those are the two sort of storylines. I mean, I thought these were very explicitly <laughs> tied together yes, thematically, mm-hmm. unlike in the shout when we sort of could see the connect the dots. Uh, I thought it was an interesting choice to pair them. And obviously, again, there's something very pedagogical in both storylines, but especially Toby's, the sort of both what an eating disorder may or may not look like, but also the very explicit conversation that he has uh, with both JT and Ashley in different ways about how eating disorders are not exclusively something that girls and women experience, Mm -hmm. um, which... I thought he was a, I mean, Toby is such a sweet character. Um, and I thought that the choice was an interesting choice. Um, yeah. I don't know what other folks thought. I um, 
I think it was interesting also that they chose to like portray that through athletics because lots of shows like show athletes doing whatever behaviors, whatever behaviors for their um, athletic achievements or whatever. Um, and just sort of write it off as things that athletes do. Um, mm-hmm. But here they like very, were very clear that in fact, these are not things that you should probably do to yourself um, in the, in the way that Degrassi always escalates like addictions and issues in one episode in like a, a 20 minute spree <laughs> from beginning yes. to end. Um, but they, they do that to show, you know, that these, maybe are not things you want to do. Yeah, sorry. It just the pacing in in Degrassi episodes generally has to be so extreme. Uh, and I, you know, like it's also sort of worth considering that like most of these things are going to happen over a much larger arc than three days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking I I'm glad that you brought up athletics immediately, Jacinta, because I was thinking about two things. One I'm pretty sure, and y'all can correct me on this, Saved by the Bell had a similar episode where Slater is trying to make weight. Um, So maybe it was a little bit of an homage to that. Or also, I mean, you can look at sort of the most pronounced uh, disordered eating practices being wrestlers and other sort of bodybuilding, Mm -hmm. weight-focused people. Um, But also I found it to be super salient right now in the sort of Instagram... um, uh, exercise uh, mm-hmm. influencer culture that we have right mm-hmm. now and also like CrossFit culture um, because we've yet to see that in pop culture make a turn towards looking at those as as also compulsive eating and body focused mm-hmm. problems, right? Like that, those are more like aspirational, like hashtag mm-hmm. goals versus, mm-hmm. no, these people like keto diet and these extreme restrictive diets are also not healthy for your body. Um, so I, I really appreciate that they did that early on with Degrassi. Um, but yeah, I kind of feel like Saved by the Bell did it, but maybe I'm wrong. I thought it was interesting too that um, the coach, right? So I think Jacinda said we often have this depictions of teens doing sort of unnecessary things, male athletes, teens on shows, and it's often sort of presented as hazing or, but it's not connected to dis- disordered eating. But here the coach explicitly says, don't try to make weight. And it was an interesting way that on the one coach, the coach, like the coach is his ally. The coach doesn't want him to do the things he's doing, but the coach is also the representative of the thing that Toby wants. And mm-hmm. so it's this sort of bind he's in where the coach has explicitly said, this is not safe, but the coach mm-hmm. also said, this is what you need to do to participate. And there's mm-hmm. a scene where he's in the cafeteria, he's not getting any food, but the apple, Ashley is confronting him and behind Ashley, he can see the coach. And I thought it was interesting that it wasn't explicitly clear if the coach was supposed to represent this the wrestling he wanted to achieve and Ashley in his mind was in the way by trying to be a good older sister, or they're just two different versions of saying no or both. I think it, right. Um, yeah. I really liked that shot because I, like, I think that it signifies both ways, but also I, I also read it just that 
he is there as a permanent sort of like fixture and reminder of like of of both sides of it and that like there's a like whatever the sort of decision that Toby makes th- that guy is in the back of his head because he is the gatekeeper for this goal that all of a sudden he wants I mean this was one of the better I mean we've talked a lot about our complicated feelings about JT but I think what's interesting here is this sort of coming together of JT and Ashley mm-hmm. and that JT is the closest person. And so I thought here, JT being the repository of all these sort of gross teenage boy things is interesting because it shows someone who is not Jimmy and has a language for something, is not Paige and has read all about it, is not Hazel. It's someone who's like, I know this is a problem, but I don't really know how to say it because... Mm -hmm but I still know it's a problem and I still care. I mean, that's what I appreciated was that the ultimate connection was JT and Toby and Mm -hmm. their sort of, I thought very sweet moment and that it forces him to go to Ashley and that Ashley for all her issues is a really good stepsister in this Mm -hmm. episode or tries to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it also shows us that JT is not fully invested in all types of toxic masculinity, right? Like he very much rejects uh, sort of the hyper-athleticism that is oftentimes associated with toxic masculinity. So he he might lean into the other creep stuff, but he certainly wants to, to emphasize the value of Toby's other assets that have nothing to do with his physical abilities. I thought that it was really interesting that JT's initial pushback to Ashley was that this is girl stuff. And so, but that, uh, so then very quickly comes around as he doesn't necessarily say that he's come around to Ashley, but he does take that information and start observing Toby more closely. So like it does show him sort of like enacting concern uh, and becoming watchful and mindful of the kinds of um, uh, behaviors that Toby has adopted and, and then, and then intervening, um, you know, after. Mm-hmm. And right before, right? I thought it was interesting, even the two, like he's the one who comes to him before the fight and he's the one that's, and then the two of them sitting in the audience together. So there was a sort of, I thought a really sweet representation of like, yeah, the fact that they care about it. They care about this person together. Mm -hmm. If we can like um, kind of, maybe shift to the the B plot and not that there's not more to say about a plot, but um, I, I thought that it was interesting that it, as opposed to something like um, shout episode part one, where like the B plot is, it takes up so little time and is clearly a bit of a throwaway just so that they can have a B plot to kind of break things up. Like this one felt much more balanced. Um, and, and, and as you, as you said, mm-hmm. here. Uh, recap like Mm -hmm. it is meant to tie these two issues together in a very explicit way and I think that some of that has to do with like the screen time that each is given Um, I I mean you know this isn't the first time that Terry is um, you know works through some of uh, her um, issues surrounding body image Um, I do like um 
I, you know, I, I appreciate Spinner in this episode uh, as awkward as he is in his uh, conversation with her um, because, you know, this is also a, a, a moment where a friend intervenes because he overhears Terry canceling a photo shoot and, you know, in his very awkward way, like uh, tries to encourage her. And I do have some issues around like, you know, uh, like the the automatic like turn to you're pretty, uh, like as the sort of like value judgment that makes her worthwhile and dateable in yeah. some way. Um, but it was it was very sweet. I looked it up, and this is also the same year that Real Women Have Curves came out, which <laughs> seems like such a a pop culture moment in yeah. terms of like body image. Um, so like, it makes sense. I think that they would weave this story in there at that time too. I thought it was a better, not, I don't know, better is right word. It was a more interesting exploration of it than maybe past times that we've dealt with this with Terry, because for a while she was like the background friend Mm -hmm. and then there were, she's become much more nuanced between mm-hmm. the first season and this season. So that this is much more complicated because it starts out as a story about she has more money, but she won't tell them why, and they hold that against her. And then it becomes this other story. I just thought it was much more interestingly put together than some of the other times that they've tried to tease out what they want to do with Terry. Mm-hmm. Um, and putting that billboard in the bus shelter so that people can sit there and she can sit there and they can all walk by it is just sort of masterful. So that in mm-hmm. that scene with Spinner, she's sitting in the bus shelter with the yeah. actual picture right next. I just thought that was really well done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also think this is episode is a good example of something that we talked about earlier in our episodes, which is like, they give us page whiplash sometimes with the way that they have her character behave like from episode to episode, which I think is great. Like in general, in terms of like reminding us that Paige is actually a real teenager who like waffles on all sorts of things, but also is a little bit unusual for a TV show. Like TV shows tend to put characters in boxes a lot of times, but even in this episode, following shout you know we start out with Paige being all suspicious about how terry's getting this money and thinking like she's shoplifting or something i know and then and then once she finds out that it's a mod she's a model Paige is like extremely supportive and like encouraging and not wanting Paige or terry to stop especially because of some stupid guy. Um, And I think that is just, that is so, so much fun with Paige's character. It's just like all these different facets that we get to see from her. And also reinforcing that Paige is still obsessed with celebrity. Like she's, she's a star fucker wannabe. How cool is it that her best friend is a model, right? Yeah. And I, and I think that like, I mean, we've also talked about like some of the other characters like are pretty inconsistent between episodes, but it is fun that Paige is the one that like seems to, yeah, the Paige whiplash is is real. And that like oftentimes within one episode, we see her sort of like flip flop in, in, in these marvelous 
marvelous marvelous and weird ways. Terry's character has become more and more like weirdly guarded in ways that I think are really interesting. She sort of becomes her and Ashley are very similar in their character, but Ashley's out and Terry is in and they both sort of Terry's better at going along and being like with the group of girls, but she still is sort of, even in this episode when like, it makes sense that they don't believe her because there's a bit of guardedness because she is a little bit not quite in with them anymore. And I thought that consistency with Terry is really interesting just as she's become more her own person and less willing to be, I mean, she was kind of bullied by Paige before and now she doesn't take it anymore. Well, if we think back to the drunken shenanigans um, at uh, her dad's wine or whatever, (laughs) (laughs) I think that had a lasting impact for sure. The other thing I like about this episode, and similarly in Shout, and I do think as the series progresses, it gets better at this, it shows... It shows the waffling that that characters grappling with problems do. So I think about Terry's body acceptance and it not being a straight trajectory and it's not linear by any means. And she goes back and forth in terms of self-acceptance, et cetera. And also we as the, as the viewer can go along with that. I appreciate that um, because it further complicates these really hard issues. You don't just wake up one day and say, I'm me, I love me, and all the other shit that society puts on us, like, I'm over it. It's it's, Mm -hmm. it's a constant struggle. Can we also talk about um, Toby, amongst his many signs that he was not okay, was his attempt at showing off for Kendra and Nadia. (laughs) To the point where even JT was like, what are you doing? Like, what is happening right now? This is not, in fact, what you should be doing. Um, Yeah, it was just ridiculous. Uh, And Nadia having to take the picture of him for the yearbook (laughs) or whatever. It was just, it was so much. It's so cute. I mean, I like them all. I thought it was interesting that those, those two girls throughout the episode that are sort of like they incorporate new people. I mean, Degrassi is so good at having these people and they don't just go away, but they might not always be in the forefront either. Um, mm. And that it was those two, or even the guy who yells at Terry, I wasn't in love with, I thought it, her comment yep. at the end is very empowering, but there's also like a weird class shaming thing about how much he's making that I was like, this is kind of icky, but you go on with your GPS phone. (laughs) Yeah, that. What do you make, ice cream boy? In the moment, but yeah, it it is, uh, it's, because it's right at the end, like we don't have a chance for it to be problematized, but I would hope that like sometime soon they're going to like maybe pick back on, pick up on something about class. Um, I do just want to contextualize for our younger listeners. Um, 2002, body positivity was not a movement. I mean, it was a movement uh, in feminist circles, but it was not what it is now. We didn't have a Jamila Jamil. We didn't have other sort of celebrities and influencers like Ashley Graham 
um, really going out and caping for body acceptance and body positivity. So at the time, this was revolutionary for Terry to lean into um, being a plus size model and also that being um, something lauded. Yeah, I was 23 at this moment and like present moment me absolutely wishes that 23 year old Tiffany was watching a a television show for middle schoolers uh, to see this episode because I mean like like I have had a lifelong struggle much like Terry with like weight and body image and and so like have it just would have been amazing to have any kind of like positive messaging in that moment because it it really was quite quite rare i i would also like to note here um the guy that plays muhammad um who's the guy that yells at terry um with not very eloquent insults might i add um (laughs) is uh, he also went on to star on a, another show that was on the end called Radio Free Roscoe. Um, and I just want to note this because there's going to be other characters from that show that over, or other actors from that show that overlap later in the series. And this is a very like Canadian teen TV show thing that happens and uh, actors proliferate through a bunch of different shows in the same way that so it happens with, a, I think, a lot of UK shows. Yeah. So you'll see um, some of that cross-pollination. Um, I think Muhammad appears in a few episodes of Degrassi before the actor ends up going on to Radio Free Roscoe. I think a uh, last thing I would say as sort of a lead, and it kind of leads into the next episode, is I thought it was interesting that even, like, the, Toby gets the storyline about disordered eating and it, part of the point is that this is not just an issue for girls and women, but they also don't make either his or Terry's issue not specific to the experiences of their gendered positions. Like I liked yeah. that it was both about how you could deal with this across genders, but also that like that thing from Spinner is kind of, we like it, but it's a little uncomfortable because it's about appearance, but it's also very much about the experience of being a girl also who is valued in specific ways. Mm-hmm. And that Toby's is very much like, he wants to be Sean, which is about being the boy, the most valuable athlete. So I thought mm-hmm. that that was interesting. I mean, also this is the first like, episode coming off of shout that isn't about relationships well and and also like how you're situated within the larger context of your school as 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 a figure who might be seen remotely and in in an un like a specifically non-intimate or non-friendship manner uh like yeah like positioning yourself in front of a much broader audience. Mm-hmm. And I would also say that like, as much as we might not want, like you're pretty to be the dominant sort of message that is empowering. I would also oh, think sure. that that is actually something that Terry wants to hear Yeah. Uh, as a character. Yeah. So like, it makes sense, even though that's not like the sort of, dominant psychological messaging that we might want to have absolutely here, you know, and I, I appreciate it relevant I just, to like, that character adult mm-hmm. person me you know like also is like okay but there are other things too but like I yeah 
I think also one final note to thinking about the transition from Shout to this episode is both episodes talk about embodied trauma because yes, we've got we've got Paige's physical trauma, but then Toby, I mean, it's very explicit when he collapses and when we mm-hmm. see sort of other scatological um, markers of his eating disorder, like his body is undergoing extreme trauma. And so mm-hmm. the other ways that the body, that trauma writes itself on the body. Mm-hmm. All right. Episode 10, we get a Manny and Marco episode. We open with Manny's Barbie dream fantasy of Craig asking her out on a date in the middle of Miss Kwan's class. And it is here that we learn that Manny's desire for Craig has intensified into full-on lust. After some urging from Emma, Manny decides to tell Craig she likes him and then asks him to go out on a date. The two go on their first date to an unexpected mall carnival. Which is <laughs> um, cut to the next day where Manny and Craig. Cut to the next day where Manny and Craig are debriefing with their respective friend groups, uh, with dueling narratives about the date. Through the Rashomon effect, we learn Manny's takeaway from the date was that it was something out of a fairy tale. The two were meant for each other. Uh, the date for Craig, however, is a flop, with his takeaway being that Manny is too immature for him. When Craig and Manny finally meet in the hallway that day, Craig's energy is high-key not into her, and Manny is excited and clearly into him. The episode ends with Manny decorating Craig's locker to, quote, cheer him up, end quote, which results in Craig having to tell her he does not like her. We also find out in this episode that Craig has feelings for Ashley. Meanwhile, in the B-plot, we find out that both Hazel and Ellie have crushes on Marco, who we've not seen very much of. Ellie attempts to court Marco by sending him Edward Gorey-inspired secret admirer email, which we'll talk about. As, and as I know, it's adorable. And as a secret admirer, she asks him to meet her in the Zen garden on campus. (laughs) Uh, Marco realizes that it is Ellie, not Hazel, who has been sending him the emails, and he confesses that he likes her too. The two plan on going on a coffee date. And that's where the episode ends. I loved this episode from the very beginning because it opened with Miss Kwan and a fantasy <laughs> sequence for Manny. And I was like, what more do I need? And then Nothing. even more, Emma becomes support is finally supportive of Manny. Like Emma is like finally on board with being the friend that Manny deserves in this episode. Yeah. Where she's like yeah all in but she's also good at me like she pushes her at the beginning but then later she's like when she can read the tea leaves a little better she's able to be like what if we pull back and manny doesn't mm-hmm. see it but emma tries and i was like good for emma and finally because i know they have the fight earlier in this season where mm-hmm. they sort of mm-hmm. talk about how they differently like Emma tries to make Manny into who Emma thinks she should be, and Manny says mm-hmm. no. So mm-hmm. I was really, I really enjoyed. I mean, I felt bad for Manny, but I also was glad Manny got a romance plot, and mm-hmm. I, thought, I thought it was really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved this episode from the rhyme of Cinderella and Manuela in in. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> in Manny's uh, musical interlude fantasy. Yes. Um, and then like, just like how perfect I was like, oh, she's reading Ed- Edward Gorey. And then I was like, oh, this is going to be key. This is like, this is like really key for this plot point. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, I would also, in our ongoing hair watch, Mark the appearance of Spinner's bleach blonde hair. Oh my god! It is running toner. I think oh. I've talked about this before, but Spinner goes through the most series, uh, epic series of hairstyles in this show, and this is one of many. One yes. of many. Yes. Yeah, and also Ashley's hair got better. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it got slightly better. And it, it, she got rid of the little blue chunks. Yes, and put red chunks. I mean, sure, but it's also shorter. And it just, like, I don't know. It's more streamlined. Yes, they aren't uh, little clip-in blue chunks. Yes, oh, yeah, that was little birds in her hair. Yep. They also still have Ellie's hair doing all sorts of things right now. <laughs> and I am and I am still way, way into it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Ellie lives for synthetic hair. Like I think we can all agree. If it's plastic, it goes in. <laughs> I mean, as Marco says, he's into girls who are quote cool, alternative, and that's Ellie. Yep. In the world mm-hmm. of the show. Ellie who let's so Edward Gorey is awesome, and the Ghastly Crumbles is great, but it is a children's picture book. Yes, it and is. And so the fact that Miss <laughs> Kwan would not allow her to do her oh book report on a children's picture book that is just the 26 letters of the alphabet with a line for each is not surprising. And no. <laughs> I mean, it makes for a very... This is one of those times... I love when shows treat people who read like people who read and not like they Googled book and were like, oh, <laughs> they love to read a book. So I appreciated that even though it wasn't like a like a novel, it was like a book mm-hmm. that bookish people would read. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little confused by anonymous emails. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I want to know what that email address like is. Which I guess must just mean it's on like a shared server for just the computer lab, and so mm-hmm. you must be able to like it's essentially email and early IMs. But mm-hmm. it was <laughs> they kept talking about how anonymous the emails were, and I was like, man, you guys need a private server or something. Mm-hmm. Like. <laughs> Oh my God. So yeah, I think we need to talk about the carnival. (laughs) Okay, but so when we get here, um, like this is one of those episodes and something I said in earlier podcast episodes where there's like foreshadowing of various things that are going to come down the line. And I think one of them that is very clear here is like what kind of, guy Craig is going to become. Yes. Which I think I mean, as we watch more episodes, it'll become more clear. But uh Craig 
oh my god craig and relationships is a whole journey and i think it starts right here (laughs) yes there were two things i screamed at the tv while watching this with my partner first was run away manny you don't want anything to do with craig (laughs) do not he is a mess which we'll get to someday and then the other thing was about marco which i can't say because spoilers yeah, but I do think Marco is very adorable in this episode, and mm-hmm. again, much better at uh, being cute and flirty than whatever the hell we were getting from Dean before. Oh yeah, Marco. Yeah. Marco's got game. Mm-hmm. Well, and both I like both of these storylines are very rom com classic. Like, yes. Like literally Marco takes the cell, like they walk towards each other and Marco is still on his cell phone and Ellie is still on hers and he hangs up and then he like takes the phone from her and it's not, it didn't feel creepy. It felt very like I'm here now. And I thought the carnival was a similar, very romantic comedy thing where like you go to a place for one thing and if always in the movies, it's like, oh, surprise. I did love the Rashomon style retelling with the sort of like girls and guys and that almost everything was identical. It was just how they perceived what happened. Mm-hmm. Like the cotton candy. Yeah. <laughs> that was oh my God. <laughs> so, so, so Manny, Manny yeah, thinks it's like this really cute moment where she gets to brush his lips and he thinks she's choking him with cotton candy. <laughs> Shoving wads of cotton candy into his mouth. Well, and the two use uh, a single word to describe, they say, you know, if I had to describe it in one word, Craig says, bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to be honest, even the most romantic date is still a little bizarre at an outdoor carnival, but a mall carnival? (laughs) Um, A mall carnival when you all had been planning to go see a movie, and then you walk in and there's a carnival, and I don't know what happens where these people live, but I've never just stumbled upon a random carnival in the mall. And a very well set up one. (laughs) Right? Right. I mean, with, with... Yeah. Um, and Manny, of course, calls it magical, which, you know, further reinscribes her fantasy idea of what romance is. Also, I forgot to mention in my synopsis that there's a recurring theme of a single pink rose. Oh, so yeah. in her fantasy, Ma- uh, Craig always Craig brings Manny a single pink rose. And then when he shows up to the date, he actually brings us a, a single pink rose which Manny then keeps in her locker and keeps pulling out the next day, smelling it, and we see the petals <laughs> falling off bit by bit. <laughs> like, honestly, as a Bachelor fan, I imagine that's what all the Bachelorettes do when they get the rose. They, like, hoard it away in their drawer and pull it out all bent and fucked up. Oh, no. Well, there's okay. So there's a a slight C plot that sets us up for what we'll cover in our next uh, our Mm -hmm. next episode, which is that uh, Snake and Spike are now engaged. And I did appreciate the conversation that Emma had with Manny about that. And Mm -hmm. Manny says it wasn't very romantic because Spike asks Snake out versus versus like you know the the opposite sort of. you know, on bended knee uh, situation. Um, And then when Manny is talking about her crush on Craig, 
she thinks that he likes her too, but he hasn't asked her out. And and Emma's like, haven't you been listening to what I've been saying? You ask him out. So, <laughs> like, I did appreciate, like, uh, Emma's bossiness in that particular moment or her sort of um, assertiveness, I guess. Uh, you know, like, hey, this is also, so you don't have to, like, follow this script. Totally. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say, I mean, Emma, yeah, and then... What I thought was very real was that when she asks him out, it's very real, like, oh, we both have a crush, and it's cute. And it's also very real to be this age, you go out once, and one of you is like, oh, no. Yes. And one mm-hmm. of you is like, mm-hmm. oh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, so like, clear. literally, literally, this happened when I was in high school. One of my friends went out with a guy once, and then I was like, yeah, I heard you and such and such are dating now. And she was like, we went out once. That's <laughs> when it, He was like telling people they were in a relationship. Yes. Which also, I mean, bless her heart. Manny, she, she really does think Craig is the one and she's going to will it to happen. And that, you know, hence the reading, being able to read his moods. <laughs> When he clearly wants to go to the movie. Right. And to go back to the kind of person that Craig is becoming, and also to circle back to the original Degrassi, Joey is kind of, you know, he's a Playboy character on that original series. Craig's right? stepdad. Craig's Joey. Stepdad. Yeah, yeah, Joey, uh, Craig's stepdad. So, like, when jo- Craig tells him he has a date, which I don't know, do 14-year-olds get to just tell their parents they have a date tonight and go? I, I don't know what happens in Canada. I didn't. But um, <laughs> he, when he tells him he has a date, Joey's, like, all proud and calling him a stud and all this stuff, which is just, like, extremely on-brand for all of that, right? <laughs> it's also uh, – Joey's excited because it's Craig's first date, too – and I do, I mean, later on in the series, we'll see the significance of Manny and Craig's first dates with being with each other. But um, yeah, also in that scene, Craig's little sister is there too, to remind us that he has a five-year-old sister, which he later compares Manny to. Which to go back again, as I said before, the actress that plays Craig's sister is this real life sister of the actress that plays Manny. Yes. So this is like... <laughs> There's a lot for them right now. To be layers and layers and layers. So on yep. the nose. Like, yes, she reminds you of her sister because she does, in fact, look like your sister because she's the sister of your sister, you nerd. I mean, I thought it was a little... I did think it was kind of... Okay, whether or not Manny is acting younger than he is, I did think it was fair to say I couldn't stop thinking about my like half like half-sister... And the sort of almost family nature of it, I could see that mm-hmm. being weird. Mm-hmm. I also thought it was funny, though, that they kept going back to the age because, like, literally, she's one grade below you. Like, one yeah. one grade. Okay, it's not... It's not uh, uh, and I went to a school where we went to the same school from kindergarten to eighth grade. Um, so, like, the... People would date pe- date people in grades a year younger than them or two years younger than them, and that was like extremely normal. 
but like I I thought that was funny and then uh even Joey asked him like isn't she a little young for you? She's one grade lower. Well, Craig 11 says months. 11 months. Yep. The show yeah. is invested in the grade grade 9s and grade 10s though. There is like a way that they treat them sometimes very differently, right? Like they're grade nine time, and grade eight right now. Or uh, rather, yeah. In terms of like seriousness of story mm-hmm. sometimes, I do feel mm-hmm. like the younger kids often get the B plot when the serious, very serious story happens to the older kids. Like even mm-hmm. just thinking about like the shout storyline. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. Toby's storyline is pretty serious in the last episode we mm-hmm. just talked about, but I do think there is a way in which they they do the show itself kind of plays into that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they protect the grade eights still, and they treat the relationships of the grade nines like they're much. Those are where the longer relationships tend to, were at the beginning of the show. The older but then we kids. Have, we do have Emma and Sean though, who are technically in the same grade because Sean got held back. Who are the same age difference as Craig and Manny. Yeah. But the way that date was treated uh, was 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 pretty different. So mm-hmm. are we supposed to then assume that Emma is more mature than Manny, or maybe idea of relationships are more mature? I think that's what we're supposed to assume about Emma from the start, right? Yeah. That she's like the sort of smart, um, aware um, activist person, and Manny's like this dreamer. Yeah. who still has these fantasies and things like that and who likes playing and having fun and being a cheerleader, whatever the case may be, right? Whereas Emma's serious about life and the world. Well, and and em- yeah, and Manny also, that fight between Manny and Emma a couple episodes ago around Cheer Squad was really about whether or not it was feminist to be femier right and mm-hmm, i had right. kind of forgotten that fight but part of this episode too is manny is more femme than like more she's more like sort of classically dressing up visibly in this episode mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. at first it was jarring to me because i think when the show started they were both costumed in a much more boxy relaxed style but i feel like part of manny's fantasy is about her investment in feminist i don't think the show necessarily writes that off but i think that's the central sort of tension between her and emma and also manny's in investment in tra- what we think of as traditional and conventional gender roles mm-hmm. i mean because that's the other side of it manny is not just invested in feminist but she's invested in, in a sort of scripted ideal mm-hmm. woman uh, right yeah they don't talk about it a lot directly now but i think we can also attribute it a lot of this to their familial backgrounds right so yeah. manny is coming from this overprotective traditional uh filipino i believe family whereas yeah. um emma has been raised by a single mom who was a teen mom at like age 14 right yeah so that has also shaped how they are as characters totally and i think the b plot really counters that 
by having Ellie be, I mean, she's feminine in, in very like classic ways, but also is not Hazel. And Hazel in the frame of the show is much more popular, cool. And so that seems to be the counter is that Ellie gets the guy and Hazel is not his ideal, right? If that's going on at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, also Ellie's white. Like, yeah. that's the other part of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because I was also like, when he said, like, I'm into, what did he, what was the quote, Brendan? You cool had it. alternative girls. Yeah. Yeah, cool alternative girls. I was like, right. But like, it's a certain it's a certain raced alternativeness, right? Like Ellie, oh, yeah. Ellie's walking into otherness. Like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, you don't know Hazel. You don't know her life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of an ongoing short end of the stick sort of thing with uh, Degrassi is what they end up doing with black female characters specifically. Black male characters fare better, I think, on the whole. Um, but unfortunately, black female characters often get sort of tossed aside. Well, mm-hmm. so far they seem undateable, whether it's Liberty or Hazel or it, so. Yeah, there's a very mm-hmm. weird. Yeah, I, I'm just. I had also noticed that, especially we've gotten more Liberty up to this point, and and we've gotten more with Liberty's sort of. Um, interest in in JT who through his adoration of of Hugh Hefner and other problematic figures seems to probably want to play into very uh you know traditional I, I don't know beauty standards and and like gender roles as far as like what kind of women to date I don't know yeah, I mean, I think also if you if you look at all of the girls and women of color on the show, none of them have long term boyfriends. None of the, I mean, even Manny in this episode is she's too kooky, like she's too immature. Um, and I also think about Kendra having a crush on uh, Toby. You know, Kendra being Chinese of Chinese descent. So it's like none of them, none of the girls of co- girls and women of color even get to have. A, a a relationship where it's taken seriously. Yet, yeah. I mean, I that could change. If I'm remembering correctly, Toby, at the time that Kendra shows interest, is very much hung up on Emma. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I mean, I think Toby's still kind of hung up on Emma. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. He's smarter than a lot of the other men on this show, or boys. <laughs> Insofar as realizing some of his limits, like I do think, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I totally agree with the thing with Hazel. I do also think it's interesting that like five episodes ago, I didn't even know who Hazel was really as a person. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I do think that she's, I mean, the show also juggles so many people, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. it started off so Emma heavy and this set of episodes right, that we're talking about for this episode. And also in Shout, Emma is like very backgroundy. So in mm-hmm. some ways there is some attempted at balancing. I don't think it's complete because 
shot was all about Paige and Hazel mm-hmm. is this really good emotional support for her. And obviously that's not about a relationship, but it is about Paige being at the center for two episodes and the mm-hmm. two women who support her, one of them is Hazel. Um, and mm-hmm. then when Hazel gets her own episode, which is the next one we're going to talk about, it's not about intimate partnerships at all. I mean, it's about close friendships and about family. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I am interested to see going forward where those spaces might be if they are there. I think the thing with Ali is, and Marco is because Marco is clearly written is clearly not white either. So I think it's interesting the language they're all using. Um, Actually, I think in the show he's Sicilian. Like I, I think yeah. he's, he's racially ambiguous <laughs> I, in the show, and his parents are immigrants. I think Marco's Italian. Yeah. Um, okay. And. Adamo Ruggiero, I'm not sure. Is he about, or is he Portuguese? I'm not sure. I feel like I would have known this like 10 years ago, but I don't remember <laughs> now. True. I mean, I have looked this very thing up too because Marco is so racially ambiguous. But the we you meet his family in season. Yeah, his father I feel like his father owns like a pizza place or something. Like it's yeah. very No, they're Italian. Like, they're like very okay. on the nose Italian. Italian. That makes sense um, then. All right. So now we're going to talk about uh, episode 211, Don't Believe the Hype. Um before we uh, talk about this one, uh just another um content warning. This episode uh deals with a variety of uh, prejudicial sort of topics, uh, hate crime, Islamophobia, um, uh, et cetera. Uh, so just forewarning on that front. Um, so in this episode, um, which is our first really, I'd say, Hazel-centric uh, episode, um, we start out by finding out um, that it's going to be International Day at school, um, which means that all the grade nines have to uh, do presentations about their cultural backgrounds um, and dress for those cultures and give bring food and all sorts of things, which we can talk about how messy that is later. But anyway, this is the premise in which we are entering. Um, and so... From the start, it's very clear that Hazel is not into this as much as some of her um, fellow grade nines are. Um, and we get this early conflict uh, between her and another student who um, is a obviously a Muslim student um, wearing a hijab. And very quickly, um, Hazel is aggressively negative about the fact that this other student is wearing a hijab and refers to it as terrorist chic and gives her um what like a a fashion ticket for it which had been something they were already doing in general but now is directed um in a very sort of prejudicial way towards this student um so this becomes sort of a, a moment where even her friends are like, what, what is happening here? Why, where did this come from? Why are you behaving like this? We didn't know you felt this way, so on and so forth, right? Um, so this then uh, goes on with Hazel having additional conflict with this other student who uh, 
you know, starts to question Hazel's background. Uh, Hazel's last name is Alden, and the other student is like, that sounds like a Somalian last name, and you also kind of look Somalian. And Hazel's like, nah, basically. Um, and when her and Paige are talking about the whole International Day thing and Hazel hasn't started working on it yet, um, Paige assumes that Hazel's going to do it about Jamaica because she thinks Hazel is Jamaican. There's a lot of conversation about jerk chicken here. And so then Hazel decides that she's going to go with Jamaica as her country because she's Jamaican maybe um so she goes to her favorite jamaican joint in the mall i think where the carnival was and gets jerk chicken to bring to class and the next day um is very much leaning into uh the jamaican presentation etc cetera, etc cetera. so they have international day they have the first half and they go on their lunch break or whatever and when they come back, uh, the student that Hazel has been having conflict with, it, her um, presentation has been vandalized. Somebody's written terrorist across it, thrown a bunch of stuff around, torn it up, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, which leads to a big school-wide conversation about what all this means. Hazel gets called into Radish's office um, to sort of have to take responsibility for the things that she says and also account for where she was when all this happened. Um, turns out somebody else did it, uh, but this is a learning moment for Hazel. Uh, she tries to sort of first verbally make amends to this other student who is not really receptive. Um, Hazel and admits that she is Somalian and that she faced prejudice at her previous school, which made her um, behave the way she is now, but the other students is like, nah, I'm not hearing that right now. Um, and so finally, uh, Hazel does um, do her presentation about being Somalian and her background as a Muslim um, and, you know, teaches the class about hijabs and et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, so that's like the primary plot of the episode. And then uh, the subplot is back to JT and Liberty again, uh, doing nothing but shenanigans. So they're in a sewing class, um, and a bunch of the students are in the sewing class. And unlike most classes, Liberty sucks at sewing, um, and JT is excellent at sewing. Uh, but when it seems like JT's masculinity is going to be uh, threatened by the other men, including Sean and, and um, Toby in particular in the class, um, he decides to swap projects with Liberty. He takes the terrible sewed pillow and she takes his, which is perfect. Um, and so she gets praise from their teacher. He gets scorn from their teacher, etc. cetera. Um, Liberty essentially ends up blackmailing him into <laughs> doing her next project. Um, but then she can't handle the guilt of it when she gets additional praise from the teacher. So she announces that it was really JT who did it. Um, and he sort of has to reckon with the dudes in the class being dudes of stereotypical variety. Um, but a lot of it here is also um, in a similar way to like Hazel being figuring out how to be comfortable with who she is. It's JT being comfortable with who he is and the skill set that he has 
um, that he's learned from his family, which is sewing, um, even if it isn't considered traditionally masculine in 2002. Ooh. So that's about the gist of it. And and just for a timeline, because I looked this up after the episode, uh, for listeners, this episode comes out in December 2002. Um, mm-hmm. So thinking about that being a little over a year after 9-11, um, mm-hmm. So it seemed like the a lot of the dialogue here in the conversation, both at the beginning about Fariza and later when there's, after the incident happens, there's this sort of, what Jacinta referred to as the sort of conversation, which is like edited together. So you see multiple classes having conversations and the students take different positions with Spinner, I don't remember who else really occupying the position of like uninformed, unintentionally Islamophobic, Islamophobic comments where Ashley Mm -hmm. and Jimmy especially take the position of sort of like the sort of not all Muslims are terrorists, but there's a lot of commentary about blowing up planes and other things, which Mm -hmm. is very clearly Mm -hmm. addressing a post 9-11 Mm-hmm. moment which as soon as i started watching and i immediately googled it because i was like oh right this is like so much pop culture in those couple of years after 9 11 that was like how do we mm-hmm. address well this and it was also in what so feels December, like a pedagogical way it's very a, clearly I mean, pedagogical we were writing it three or four months earlier filming it three or four months earlier but this is right before the coalition of the willing invaded iraq so that happened march 17 2003 just came on the uh, upon the mm-hmm. anniversary of that, and Canada was part of that. So also thinking about mm-hmm. Canada's willing participation in the invasion of Iraq. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To which, at one point, in one of the things, one of the reasons why Hazel gets called into the office is because she yep. makes a comment about declaring war on Iraq yep. um, in her confrontation with Fariza, um, which is right. part of why she is considered. A suspect for the vandalism, mm-hmm. yeah, of Jamaica declaring war on Iraq. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought yeah. so. I wished Fariza was more of a character because I liked mm-hmm. the conversations she has with people. The conversation with uh, Hazel, where Hazel says, "You know, at my last school, I got beat up, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, for right, she sort of describes a clear case of being assaulted because she mm-hmm. was wearing, we don't know if she's wearing the hijab, but in the photo she shows, she was someone who wore the hijab before, but she was beat up for who she was. Um, and what I liked about that scene was that I thought it was going to be exclusively sympathy now for Hazel, but Fariza's mm-hmm. response was sort of like, I'm sorry that happened to you. You were still shitty to me. And like your mm-hmm. trauma doesn't give you a pass on my trauma. Like I was really worried the message was going to be exclusively like, well, if a bad thing happens to you, it's understandable. But the show was a little more complicated mm-hmm. in that moment. It was sort of like, no, we've both been traumatized and it's shitty mm-hmm. that we aren't like, mm-hmm. for is it sort of like, we could be in solidarity but mm-hmm. that's not happening right here. I want yeah. more for yeah. yeah, one of the notes that I wrote down is just, woo, the self-hate. 
<laughs> and uh, there's there's a lot of that throughout this episode, honestly, um, in both of the stories, right? Um, but definitely things about themselves that these characters, you know, uh, use to sort of take out things on other people or yeah, to okay, hide can, parts of Can you all walk themselves. me through this too? So yeah, I, I wrote something similarly down, like everyone's minds are colonized in this episode or almost everyone's minds. Um, but also just totally, I, I don't, the, the, the episode to me felt very clunky and maybe even a little bit shaggy because of the way that it's situated with multiculturalism day or no international day, which is like Canadian multiculturalism. Um, I don't feel like, I feel like the most important dialogue Mm -hmm. and conversations were near the end of the Mm -hmm. episode when we see Frusa and, uh, Hazel interact, but also I think more compellingly see the other students not who don't identify as Muslim talking about Islamophobia. Um, and it's not, what's interesting is it's also, there's some moments of race and racism in there too, but they don't, I don't know, to me, having the episode, having the school promote International Day felt I don't know if it's inconsistent or I just didn't, I was like, okay, but also we're supposed to expect these teachers to be able to facilitate complex conversations around race and religion and country of origin and nationality. And yet they're really invested in international day. You know what I'm saying? Like how are that they're being able to do both? Well, okay. So I think that this is really interesting point and one that I was thinking about because I'm not sure that the, that the um, professors, the teachers and the school are supposed to be our guiding light in this episode. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's made exceptionally clear when Snake like does the takes on this sort of like faux uh jamaican accent and says yeah i'm on and like in in and like it like and it and i think that the way that like the yeah. the scene is framed and everything like we are supposed to see that as problematic so i think that like in the later scene that has a rapid cross cut of a bunch of different people kind of giving one to two sentences, which are basically their hot takes on um, questions about race, um, ethnicity, identity, um, like, et cetera. Like, I think that um, those are intercut. Then we see like, we see uh, the coach, right? The coach like is part of the, Mm -hmm. the class facilitation and he basically is just like interesting uh but doesn't like actually guide them it's just it seems more like a space for them to all speak and actually teach each other and i think that in this instance like several there are a couple of things i want to pick out of that particular thing but like i i think that like explicitly we are not supposed to see them as as the authorities in this um instance because i mean like they are expecting a very um, racial and ethnic essentialism uh, out of out of their students in in participation in this international day because yeah. I mean like because it is there's a presentation but it's also about food and you know thinking about like the ways in which we're like one of the inroads in a multiculturalist kind of uh, uh, 
like formation of discourse is like, well, like, but we like all sorts of different kind of food. And like, that's not great. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not, that's not actually engaging with culture and, and identity and ethnicity. As a person who who was in high school at uh, this time, um, in my Spanish class, we uh, each had a country and we had to, these were not necessarily our own countries per se. Um, they might've been for some students, but we had to bring in like, um, like a food and like a presentation on that country that we were assigned um, or chose. So, I mean... This is very on brand, I think, for the kinds of presentations and things that were going on and are probably still going on at some schools, even though we've had more conversation in recent years about like how you actually probably shouldn't have make students do things like family trees and stuff like that because of a variety of familial backgrounds and situations. Um, There's still, I think, this kind of idea still happens now too. Uh, I thought that also some of what the students, like the goofy side stuff, also kind of deconstructed it, right? So like Spinner's pizza is goofy, but it also is like he's literalizing what he was told to do, and the result is inedible, right? Mm -hmm. And then Paige has taken a Mm -hmm. traditional Ukrainian costume and made it into like a crop top and a short skirt. (laughs) And I thought that that sort of secondary narratively to the sort of like hate crime Islamophobia, but it also sort of is like, they're both literalizing it, right? Like Spinner mm-hmm. made food that tastes exactly like one of everything. And mm-hmm. she took a costume and made it her own, but we think of those as goofy. So there did, mm-hmm. like, while the teachers don't seem to know, the students are also, I thought, doing some. And even the fact that, um, Hazel went to the to the mall, bought a bunch of jerk chicken, got a poster, and no one knows any better, right? So I thought mm-hmm. that stuff I thought was really interesting in terms mm-hmm. of deconstructing it. It is interesting that this is a is is Miss Kwan in this episode at all? I don't uh, think so. She's not. So we have the coach, but otherwise we just have these white dudes stand like the yes. Radich and Snake and the coach. Um, so, I, I mean, there's that sort of component too, like, especially because our last couple episodes, I feel like Miss Kwan was like constantly narratively a plot device of making them read mm-hmm. poetry or whatever. Um, yeah, and just for our listeners who may not have watched the episode, the coach reads as a yeah. black Canadian man. Um, and he went when Tiffany mentioned the cutaway to him, he's they cut to him who says interesting in response to Kendra saying she's an adopted Chinese Canadian and does not does not see race because mm-hmm. her she parents says she's are the white. living she's the living embodiment of the fact that race doesn't matter. Yes. Right. right. Which I think right. they use all of these students to say some, like, forward some of the important various discourses about race. Because also Spinner, who is Kendra's brother, um, she's adopted. Spinner says that his mom told him that his culture is, quote, from Earth. 
So yep. <laughs> I feel like we have a sense of like a racial discourse that is going on in the Mason household um, via uh, Spinner and Kendra, right? Um, as opposed to like someone like Ashley, who we already know is a nerd who does a lot of internet research. And even if she is herself white, is much more, I think, aware of the world. It's supposed to be aware of the world um, and aware of like some of these conflicts and issues. And Jimmy, who is black, um, who also has a different, even though it's not explicitly stated, like a different experience mm-hmm. probably than his classmates. Um, so he also takes a position that is much more um, what we might say grounded in reality about the dynamics yeah, that and, are happening here. And his example is grounded in reality. He says that his neighbor, whose name is Osama, has had his bank account frozen three times. And and so and this is in response to like, you know, right. uh, Terry asking, what does the big picture have to do with us? Uh, and and so like I, I did appreciate Jimmy saying, okay, well, there are actual real consequences to these larger international, uh, you know, uh, tensions. And I mean, the problem narratively, right, is that Fariza is a character who is parachuted into Degrassi in this episode. Mm-hmm. And so. Mm-hmm. They have to, when they have this conversation, it's all the people we already know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's like an odd distance thing that happens, unfortunately, because they don't have hijabis be like we, I've never like, I didn't recognize these people. There's a lot of other side characters like Kendra who come in and come, come and go, but we know mm-hmm. their names or mm-hmm. Hazel was that way for a while. Uh, we do. Um, we do get though Radich probably like well a lot of times Radich is like like a joke sort of character yeah. to the students but in that conversation with Frieza and Hazel in the office like he's very pointed about both why Hazel's behavior is not good and how it leads to broader moments of racism which he specifically mm-hmm. calls out as racism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, have we seen a white man articulate that more clearly on a teen show? No, no, that was good. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm kind of okay with the lack of it being entirely settled. I like that Degrassi oftentimes says, hey, things are very nuanced and there's no way that we're going to solve this or even teach this in the 22 minutes that we have allotted for our episodes. And so, but I I do think that it was pretty clear like that. Okay. So here's one lesson that you're taking away, you know, like uh, words can lead to lead to and or encourage others to uh, um, more escalated forms of violence. Um, And also like, we're going to come back to this in different forms because like clearly like we've raised a bunch of questions that we have not answered in this episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. Degrassi, like there are things they have to say, right? Like when it's about like when they want teens to think about health, right? This is the definition of rape. This is the definition of an eating disorder. They're not going to waffle on those this is the definition of racism, this is a hate crime. Mm -hmm. But then it gets more complicated 
in interesting ways. Um, for sure. I, I also think they're just kind of realistic about how this is like a bigger issue that is not really easily resolvable. Like this tension is not something that they're going to solve at Degrassi community schools by like, you know, not just in 22 minutes, but like just that this issue is much bigger than their class or their school. Right. And it's much more complicated and ongoing. Right. So they're not going to have some tidy resolution and Spinner is still probably going to be messed up about it. And like, if we saw Kendra now, she'd probably have a different perspective on it than she did when she was in grade seven or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, this is something that people have to grapple with for a long time. I think it's also crucial that like you have both white folks and people of color articulating that like race doesn't matter and you also have white folks and people of color saying oh but it does and it and that within that it matters also having a range ranging from like it matters because embodied experience uh of of experiencing racism is a thing uh but then also to the other extreme of like having a very racist response of but i'm scared that like terrorists are going to you know, like bring down a plane that I'm on, um, which Spinner articulates. And so like, I think that like part of that sort of like rapid fire scene, which feels very clunky uh, and unresolved is also just about saying, okay, like this is complicated and a lot of different like people with a lot of different embodied experiences are going to approach this question from wildly different or going to come to wildly different conclusions. Yeah, the one thing you don't get, though, in the rapid fire is any acknowledgement of Canada also being a settler colonial space and also any acknowledgement of First Nations whatsoever. So that was the one thing that was surprising because we get we get kind of the what we think of at least at the time what we thought of as markers of prejudice and racism, except for the biggest, the biggest uh, perpetuator of colonialism in Canada, which is the erasure of First Nations. Absolutely. So that's the one thing that we don't get any sort of acknowledgement of in the rapid fire. I do also want to mention one other thing that I think I, I was I was going back and forth thinking about how the show writes the white people in it. And Brendan, your comment about Paige and Spinner sort of being like, "This is my ethnicity." Um, I think I I appreciate that you brought that up because they are poking fun. It's not just that they're being goofy, but they're, be, they're poking fun of whiteness mm-hmm. in some very targeted ways. So we get to see that if anything, the showrunner and the writers are aware of white fuckery, um, which, which I appreciated in that episode too. And the sort of dialogue that this multiculturalism creates where you have like the sort of, European whiteness nationalism, right? Like, whether it be like, oh, an Irish festival or, oh, you know, whatever, like I'm gonna hyper invest in my Ukrainian-ness and I'm going to, and Paige doesn't do this, but some versions of this like make it at the same experiential level as experiences of being a person of color. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think we, 
in 2020 are very critical of Ashley often for her sort of research-based approach to difference. But I also think her sort of like, I don't have a personal experience, but I know it's bad experience Mm -hmm. is also still an important thing for this target audience to be Mm -hmm. like, hey, you don't have to be Spinner with an adoptive sister who's a person of color. You don't have, I mean, obviously Ashley has dated a person of color, but she Mm -hmm. doesn't bring that up, which would be the gross thing. She's just like, I know enough to know Mm-hmm. that it's wrong and we can problematize that mm-hmm. if that if she was adult her uh-huh. but I do think that that yeah you too can read a book and learn yeah <laughs> well and also I appreciate her in so much as like she's doing research before going to somebody and asking them to do that emotional labor of explaining their experience to her and so like it, but I think that like Maybe at the end of a shout where she comes to the realization, oh, I can do research, but that doesn't like, that's not the same as knowing. So I, I felt that was useful. And and the show is interested in, in people or invested in people doing research and, and maybe not like asking people to tell their stories, but hoping that they... Um, become receptive to hearing the stories like once it's once it's time to like get like move to the next step of understanding mm-hmm. yeah I think I think that's a good point I was I was wondering too I, I'm gonna have to go back and watch that rapid fire but we don't we also don't see white people being quiet and listening very much um, right. in that moment which again if we think about it as a pedagogical moment like, and not that everything has to center around whiteness, but even just passively, we don't see that happening. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to know, and I'm not, not to disagree, but I I can't tell if we're supposed to believe that that was several scenes cut together um, mm-hmm. because we don't know what the prompt is. Like, we don't know if they said, tell us all exactly what you all think. It was hard for me to, it's so clunky to know how even real it was Yeah, because it seemed like such a departure from the style of the show. Um, it also seems like like these discussions are happening everywhere because Armstrongs are just like on the steps. It's not like yeah. in a classroom. It's just mm-hmm. like out in the by the front of the school. So it seems like there was just like pop up groups or something. I I don't know. If- we want to keep talking. I mean, I was just to tie this to the other storyline. Um, yeah. I think that I really liked the other storyline with JT and this sort of sewing thing. And even if it's sewn up, oh, puns, a little bit at the <laughs> end in a way that I, is very much about reinforcing his heterosexuality. I thought it was strange that when they, like, he called him gay T. And this episode is so intentional about language and that's never picked up. Like queerness is like never picked up in this episode in the way, and not that they're the same, but because the other story is so hyper-focused on language. Yeah. This is one of those things that I think Degrassi does sometimes where they're like, we need somebody to be the bad guy, but we don't actually have villains yet. Like, there are some villainous characters that appear oh. out throughout the series, but, like, they don't actually have villains. 
So we're like, we're going to take Sean, who up to this point, like, has shown no signs of being particularly homophobic or even caring about sewing being for girls, as they have him say. And we're going to have him refer to JT as T. Sure, Degrassi. Sure. <laughs> we just need somebody to fulfill that role. And yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, other things about the B plot, or do we want to move on to our favorite things? I have one thing okay. about the B plot, and it is that one of the one of the, I guess, little asterisks that I have in terms of like signing off on this episode, or I don't know if an asterisk is the right word. Anyway, it's still it's both. <laughs> both the conversation around race and multiculturalism and Islamophobia and also gender expectations and gender norms still very much hinge on individual acts and don't, I mean, yes, Radich makes a connection to Islamophobia uh, and sort of hate speech, but they're still about individual choices and individuality, which is still very neoliberal in all of that discourse. So I just wanna mention that too, that it's also still reinforcing that identity and difference is still um, something that individuals have to focus on and not more systemic institutional problems. I do think at some point somebody says, maybe it's Liberty, she asks JT, she's like, why are guys like this or something like that? Right. Which does point to like a larger issue with ideas of masculinity, but it is still very like individualized for the most well, and, part. And, mm-hmm. and a little gender essentialist. Like, I mean, like what, you know. Right. I liked that the teacher was a guy. I mean, I think that there is something Which... about the fact that that <laughs> who is that, that guy? <laughs> but but that it's never addressed. I mean, I think yeah. it's still about individual choice. But the fact that institutionally, the home ec teacher who is a good sewer and tailor and is doing these analyses of their sewing is a man mm-hmm. who is entirely different from all the other men we've seen. He's older but he's not feminized in any way. Mm-hmm. Like, unless we read the feminization of the kids backwards onto him that they're doing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I did think that that, I mean, the storyline I think sort of gets dwarfed by the other storyline. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And becomes also about the friendship between Liberty and JT. And I think really interesting ways. Um, mm-hmm. And I liked that component of it. And the fact that in some ways, Liberty does a thing for JT that he doesn't realize he should be doing, um, which is about, I mean, it is a sort of emotional labor for her, but it also does put him back on the crosshairs. Um, I think that like the way that he sort of deals with being in the crosshairs again is to revert to this kind of creepiness because, uh, you know, basically Emma and Manny and others come up and ask JT to make them skirts. And the way that he sort of plays that off is that like he gets to measure them. And so like, which means he gets to touch their bodies and, and like, and enjoy it. He sends this creepy little look back to the guys over his shoulder as he says that he gets to measure them. And so like, I think that, like, I think that it's interesting that there is this way that he has to, like, um, reinscribe those those discourses uh, in, in a defense mechanism 
to to protect himself, you know, like in the eyes of the other guys. This also corresponds to like conversations about cooking, right? Mm -hmm. Because cooking is seen as like a feminine thing until you get into the professional world and then it's all dudes or Mm -hmm. the people who get promoted the most are dudes and women have a much harder time getting professional accolades in the cooking world. Yeah, but we know that JT is not a cook. (laughs) Well... Well, but also likewise in the high fashion industry too. I mean, sexism mm-hmm. is there too. So, oh. <laughs> yay, sexism and everything. But yeah, again, like when Liberty when Liberty says, "See, JT, you need to accept you need to accept yourself and be proud of who you are." Like, uh, no, <laughs> like yes, and also these problems are bigger than just you accepting yourself, right? Yep. All right, we're gonna go on to favorite things. You get exactly one a piece for all three of them. You gotta, you gotta pick. Oh no! Not fair. Do you mean nope. one per As episode? We discussed, you get one. Oh. <laughs> oh no! I have to look through okay, my list. Okay, I will. Here. As you're doing oh. that, I'm gonna say my favorite is Spinner's bleached hair. Uh, it is. Um, I like that he uh, is is not afraid to play with his look. Favorite is a quote from Liberty from episode 210. She says, Craig has my two Mm. favorite qualities. (laughs) Craig has my two favorite qualities, passion and punctuality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to go with my favorite from also being from 210, which is Emma's camera, which she Mm -hmm. uses to take a picture of Manny and Craig before their date and her camera is the size of a laptop um and it is so absurd that was gonna be one of mine yay I when she took that camera out I was like she is a full-on mom for Manny in this moment um my favorite thing, I already said the Miss Kwan, but my favorite thing is in episode 11 when Ashley says, when I'm offended, you know you've gone too, or Pat, Paige says, when I'm offended, you know you've gone too far after mm-hmm. Hazel says the terrorist chic thing, mm-hmm. uh, which is like the line in the sand. Mm-hmm. So Tiffany, okay, what are our my predictions? predictions are more musicals and even more white eyeshadow. There is so much white eyeshadow and i love it i remember that moment i was way into it then and i still wish it existed now she's coming back she's coming back brendan what's yours uh i guess my prediction is more romance because i feel like we've broken open a lot of romance uh and probably more creepy jt which is unfortunate because this ends with creepiness, but I think these these three episodes open up a space for other JTs. Mm-hmm. But the show really puts all its creepy male behaviors into JT. Mm-hmm. So I think he can't escape it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and more liberty, which I'm always a fan of. So we mm-hmm. will have to see if our predictions come true. And we'll talk to you next time. Yeah. Bye. 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 All right. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter at That Bleeping Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at That Bleeping Podcast. 
listen and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. Rate and review us on any of those podcast apps to help other fellow DeGrassi nerds find us and share the episodes on your social media and tag us. Shout out to Chris Robley for the use of his song Anonymous off of this solo album, The Great Make Believer, as our new theme music. Learn more about Chris and his music at chrisrobley.com, that's R-O-B-L-E-Y, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter at chrisrobley. As always, thanks for listening, and listen for our next episode in two weeks.